0: Never a big fan of this song Oh really? Oh wow
1: I figured you were a big Suzanne Vega fan Wow I should have gone with my other choice Fast car? (laughs) Uh, An uh, Anthrax song.
0: I know you're a big Anthrax (laughs) band fan. Oh, man. I got caught uh, yesterday. I was out at um, UCF talking uh, to Gus, our pregame interview that we taped the day before, right? Mm -hmm. And as I left uh, his office, it started to rain. I don't know what it was like in downtown Atlanta, but it was a big downpour for about, was it? oh wow well, like a 20 25 minute period mm-hmm. on that side of town and i had to make a stop somewhere um i was buying sneakers for someone else ever do that no yeah it's a tough thing right <laughs> why would i buy shoe? who might who was no well, Somebody asked you to do something and say hey can you pick up this or no anyway so i i'm driving and it's pouring rain and you know you're trying to Make that decision, should I let it stop? How long is it going to be? And whenever you do that, your Wi-Fi is not working, so you're yep. trying to load the radar, and it's not Nothing. loading. Yep. The little blue line's not moving. You're yelling at your phone. Mm-hmm. You know, I should, pay
2: how much for right. this?
0: So then you decide, I'm going to go for it with an umbrella. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and even if you don't know what kind of splash zone you're stepping into here, mm-hmm. so I'm going to go for it, right? Open the umbrella, get out. And it's maybe 50 yards to get into where mm-hmm. I'm going. Yeah. And then there are people that are waiting for the rain to stop. Then there's a person that's like a greeter at this door. So it's like, come inside and mm-hmm. close the umbrella. Is it necessary to go, it's raining out there?
1: I knew they were, yes! <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, you knew it was going to that, right? It's raining out mm-hmm, there,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and you want to turn, which I did, and I go, "Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. It's raining." Yeah. So, there you go. Then I uh, uh, I went inside and I picked up not one but a couple of pair of uh, sneakers for somebody, and then you get to the counter. They go, "Did you find what you're looking for?" Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Can't you tell? Yeah. And it's one of those stores, I mean, it's a, you know, like a sports-type store. You think there's a big impulse buy for the beef jerky up at the checkout? Yes. There is? Yes. Really? I've fallen prey to it. Really? Yeah. Kind of wondered about that. hmm You know, I've got the shirt, I've got the sneakers, I've got, you know, whatever. Oh, wow. Is that barbecue beef jerky? Put that baby in there. I, I had that thing right now. I like beef jerky. I'm not anti-beef jerky. I just wonder, is that like a good impulse buy location? Is that good product placement inside the sporting goods store to go, hey, put the beef jerky over there?
1: Yeah, because think about it this way. If you've been walking around, you're like, hey, I'm a little bit hungry, and you're at the register, you're like, let me get a little bit of snack. Okay,
0: all right. That's fine. That's fine. All right, how are you today? What 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 what, What's this shirt you're wearing today? Some sort of demonic uh, shirt you've got on? It's
1: Hellfire Club shirt, man. What's that from? Stranger Things. Okay. Season 4, the D&D Club. You play D&D, right?
0: Um Dungeons and Derek Dragons? and the Dominoes? Dungeons no, and Dragons. No, I did not play Dungeons and Dragons.
1: See, I feel like you'd be a great
0: uh Nope, nope, new kids and believe that they were completely demonic when they played it.
1: I feel like you would have been never went a, to their house. You would have been a great dungeon
0: master. Wow. Uh certain cities, maybe that applies, but uh,
1: <laughs> No, that's the one where you like you lead the campaign.
0: You get and, to use your creativity. And I guess are known by a different nickname to some. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Got a game tonight. Yeah. Uh, six, I saw Gus the, wearing a space suit. Yeah. That was part of the little promotion for a space game. So, the sixth game of the year for UCF and the fifth non Saturday game of the year. Uh, seven o'clock start for um, UCF and Temple, the 100th game of the stadium, space game. Mm-hmm. Got a column up at 96 ofthegamecom that you might enjoy about the 100th game at the stadium so and... click that on there's no lift off there's a splashdown of a capsule that's bringing people back from space but there's not a uh, there's not a lift off. so yeah can you just call someone if people think that just you know i mean just make a call
1: hey nasa
0: yeah yeah just make a call but uh, it'll be fun uniforms have gotten a lot of a uh, social media play uh, uh, i Lewis Riddick, Matt mm-hmm. Berry, they're on the call tonight. Uh, they were at um, the football facility. We did not cross paths, but Lewis Riddick had a, a couple of nice tweets about UCF, you know. Oh, good. The team and nice. space game and all sorts of stuff. And then he said to the, he goes, bounce house, don't let me down. And then Kurt Warner goes, well, you don't have to really stand and cheer. I don't, you know, cause his son's the starting quarterback for Temple.
1: That's right, yeah. Yeah,
0: so... Uh, And I believe Kurt will be there tonight.
1: Will you at all during the broadcast bring up that you saw Kurt Warner play at the barn? Yes.
0: Okay. Yep. Sure. Yeah, I did. That's where I first knew of Kurt Warner being quarterback for the Iowa Barnstormers for John Gregory's football team, throwing to Lamar Cooper. Yeah. Leonard Conley, former Miami Hurricane. Did you watch the movie? J. Cox. Did you watch the movie? Who else can name three Barnstormer wide receivers? What? Did you watch the movie? No. Okay. No. Uh, so, that's tonight. Coverage begins at 5. Kickoff is set for uh, 7 o'clock. Matt Struess, Miami Heat basketball player, is on the program a little bit later uh, today. So, we'll chat uh, with him. He's a great story. Undrafted guy. Uh, signs a summer league contract. Blows out his ACL. Kind of wonders if he'll ever get to play basketball again. Uh, is with Boston. He gets a contract with the Celtics to clear a two-way deal for one taco fall. Oh, wow. Doesn't work out there, and then ends up kind of being added as a guy for the Heat when they had a numbers of, like, we need another guy, and Mm -hmm. starts the last 22 games for the Heat, including the playoffs last year, and uh, became, really, their sharp shooter. Uh, So we'll talk with him a little bit later on the program today. Cam Meller. Uh, visits with us, his weekly football visit from Pro Football uh, Network. So we'll look forward to chatting uh, with him and the program uh, today, among the many things that that we will get to uh, between now and when uh, noon comes around. About eight, uh, maybe eight, ten houses down, Mm -hmm. they're getting serious for the Halloween decorations. Good. Uh, Like big time, and then, what do you th- wait, wait, wait. and then leave the lights on overnight? Good. Not like, hey, going to bed, turn the lights off, kind of leave it on overnight? Yeah. you got to instill atmosphere in the neighborhood. Up in the tree with the stuff and mm-hmm. the whole driveway lined up. Kind of like, hey, I think we got a winner on the street. Yeah, good. Give him the There's award. There's no contest, but I think he's kind of got the vibe like, someone's a big winner. Give them an award. Yeah. Mike O'Donnell also today. Mike cannot be with us tomorrow, so... I'm on today to talk a little uh, basketball. Uh, he'll be on with oh, us in the 11 all about o'clock him, hour. His schedule. Whoa! Wow! Life's about accommodating people, you know. That's what it's all about, man. Um, so when we come back, uh, two interesting stories. Mike and I touched on one of these on the bridge, that I think is quite common, despite whatever people may think of the story. And the other one is just to put. Just to put a timeline and show you how and why opinions change. All right? All that and much more. Thursday edition of the Beat of Sports. Samar Daniels, brought to you by Poor Choice Taphouse, Mills 50 District, near downtown Orlando. Great place. UCF guys own the place, Do a great job. Uh, next week, when UCF plays at ECU, they've got a watch gathering. You can hang up, 50 self poor taps. Uh, pour your own drink. Don't miss a second of the game. Big 20-foot screen, lots of other fun stuff. That'll be next week. This week, they got a Dream Field event with Brits Bunch Social. That'll be on Saturday. Uh check them out on uh line at poorchoicetaproom.com. uh dot com. Uh Poor Choice Tap House. Facebook also has details on the big weekend uh, uh this weekend and also next weekend. Good people, get out and uh, support those that uh, support uh us. Scott would you handle a hit piece on you well? No.
1: <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Kidding me
0: Um
1: question is that?
0: Yeah, Scott's real sensitive, so um, a hit piece wouldn't go well with you. Uh,
1: I may act you know, tough and emo, but no, I would take it personally.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mike and I were talking about this in The Bridge. So ESPN, it was at 8.27 this morning, so that's uh, what, an hour and a half ago, posted a story with the headline sources. You never want to be part of a story like that either, Scott, nope. right? Nope. Not at all. Sources. Commander's boss Snyder claims dirt on NFL owners, comma, Goodell. That's the story. Uh, It it is placed prominently on the ESPN.com main page Mm -hmm. with a graphic around it. And that's called Great Placement. The story is written by, among people, Don Van Atta. You never want a story written. All right, Scott. No. (laughs) Even if it's a good thing. That's the that's the 2022 version of Mike Wallace knocking on your door with 60 Minutes in the 70s. Yeah. It ain't going to be a fluff piece. Uh, but Don is one of the three writers, uh, Seth Wickersham and Tisha Thompson. And the story is about Washington Commander's owner, Daniel Snyder, who's fighting to keep his team. There's a big battle internally among the NFL and owners to vote him out. It takes 24 votes, and the story basically says that Snyder is not going down quietly and that he's gone to great extremes to gather dirt on other NFL owners, to hire private investigators and firms to go dig up information so that he can basically blackmail owners by saying, if you try to get rid of me, I will expose information on you. It has quotes of former team employees, not named. And a bunch of things that basically shows Daniel Snyder saying, you want to get rid of me, I'll expose you. It talks about Jerry Jones as once being an ally that basically now is not supporting uh, Snyder. And it is a well-crafted piece that I guessed when talking with Mike earlier was planted by the National Football League. And this happens... A lot, not just in sports. It happens in politics. It happens in business. It, it, it listen. You want to craft a story your way, just like you tell a story to somebody today at lunch or in the office. You're crafting it in your spin. You want to present a story to not to to, to make someone not look good. Well, you you present it in a certain way. what it's factual, that. That's up for debate uh, so my thought is that the National Football League may have been the best source of information for this story and said look here's a bunch of stuff and you know if you want to write a piece you write a piece and lo and behold there's a piece that doesn't make Daniel Snyder look very good Daniel Snyder's done a lot to make himself not look good and maybe the NFL's like we got to get more votes don't have enough votes and Snyder's threatening to blackmail or at least say hey if you want to come after me I've got information. Uh, on you, it's uh, if you want to read the piece, it, it, it certainly makes Daniel Snyder look like a bigger sleazeball than people have already told you that he is. And there certainly seems like there's enough of documented investigations and stories about Daniel Snyder to get rid of him. But if you read this, you feel like you need to take a shower because of what Snyder is allegedly doing or has done. But I said to Mike, and it kind of connects the next story that I was going to get to about college football. And Scott will play the the right role here. Because in the end, it's always about what, Scott? Money. Right. So one of the biggest reasons why the NFL owners want to get rid of Daniel Schneider may be, well, let's see, the long list of investigations, the people that he's paid off, the, the, the way he's bullied people, covered up investigations. And it goes on and on and on. Daniel Snyder probably has dirt on NFL owners, just like other owners have dirt on NFL owners, and that's not new. You probably have dirt on people. They probably have dirt on you. It doesn't mean we're all evil, although some days I wake up and wonder, but we've all played that game. Oh, yeah? Well, you want to say that about me? Well, this is what I know about you. I mean, it sounds like you're 13 year olds at middle school, but We've done that before. This is next-level stuff among billionaires. But what Daniel Snyder has become for NFL owners is he's bad for business. Not the optics and the PR part of it. He's bad for business from a monetary standpoint. The once-proud Washington franchise used to be one of the model franchises of the National Football League, a great football market, sellout after sellout after sellout. I mean, real sellouts, not like baseball teams in Boston or football teams in Lincoln, but real sellouts... (laughs) I got a middle finger from Scott there. She was fired. <laughs> um, man. Real sell-outs. The, the, the financial model in the NFL about revenue sharing is you keep 60% of your local revenue. 40% goes into a pot that is then shared by the other teams. Well, the Washington once Redskins now commanders and a brief time the Washington football team went from being one of the biggest in-revenue Providers to the worst. Empty seats. Less revenue. Not making as much money in a market that used to be among the league leaders. So owners don't want Daniel Snyder to get a new stadium. If he gets a new stadium, well, as much as people hate the owner, new stadiums likely mean a honeymoon period for ticket sales. They want someone else to get a new stadium, not Daniel Snyder. If someone else can get the new stadium... Yeah, more money. And by the way, the league, which has now changed its financing program to allow owners to borrow hundreds of millions of dollars from the league to build stadiums in addition to private financing or municipality financing, they don't want to help Snyder. And I think the league is probably behind this story to say, let's kind of do what we can to make sure this guy is out of here. 10 o'clock hour, W-Y-G-M Orlando, W-J-R-R-H-D-2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando sports leader, Mark Daniels, the beat of sports. Money drives all, usually all the time. Yesterday, I found it interesting, as we embark on a new college basketball season, believe it or not, begins in three weeks, you have uh, media days for some of your bigger leagues. And those like football coaches and players, and the commissioner comes and gives kind of a state-of-the-league address. Well, when we did that in July and August for football season, that was a really big deal because there was so much going on about teams on the move with UCLA and USC and about further expansion and about TV deals and grant of rights that every commissioner's press conference was a big story. What What were they going to say? Well, not as much coverage for the basketball media days, but still some interest. Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, was asked questions about expansion, and he said, you know, it's not as big of a priority for us right now, you we'll know, never say no and keeping our options open, but kind of making it clear like we're not about to announce anything, and talked about the future and how healthy it is, and even dropped the nugget that maybe we'll play our basketball tournament in Los Angeles. Doubt it ever happens, but it sounded good at the moment. Um, Brett Yormark of the Big 12 has gone out of his way to have media opportunities to promote the league, what it will look like when UCF and its other three new members come in. He talked to people in New York about, hey, we're discussing with our TV partners about a future deal. He talked about streaming services, about younger viewers, younger fans, and capturing them and all sorts of stuff. But let me give you ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips, not the former great talk show host at Real Radio 104.1. Our colleague. But Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC. One of the nuggets he dropped uh, yesterday was he's open to the idea of expanding the NCAA basketball tournament, which is an interesting and hot topic in college basketball. I'll get back to that in a second. And why... It probably is inevitable. But if I take you back to a timeline, and here's a timeline for you. January 12, 2022. Scott, how long ago was that? This is October 13th, so we're nine months. Yeah. If I take you back nine months, we have completed the college football season of the 2021 year. Georgia's the national champion, and we are now having fighting among conference commissioners about expanding the college football playoff. Can we get to 12? No. We've got Greg Sankin going, I'm happy with four. I'm getting two in every year. I don't care. And then we had the alliance that was upset because we had, you know, who does the SEC think they are and all that stuff. And Jim Phillips, commissioner of the ACC, was adamant, very vocal, very, very vocal. When it came to the idea of expanding the college football playoff. He said the following about any idea. To the ACC, we don't have a college football playoff problem. We have a college football and NCAA problem. It's not the right time. This is not the place to be thinking about expanding a college football playoff. We have bigger issues the length of a season, the safety of our players, the calendar of college football, these are our priorities. Not expanding the playoff from 4 to 12. Maybe that's a discussion for down the line. But I'm listening to my people in our conference. We want a holistic perspective. The game needs to be reevaluated. Going from 4 to 12 is the least of my concerns. I'm more focused on our student-athletes, player safety, and the length of the season. Pat Narduzzi, football coach at Pitt, are they crazy? We don't need to be adding more games. My team's not for adding more teams to playoff. The season is long enough. What do they want? Dabo Sweeney, coach at Clemson. I'll tell you right now, among all of our players, no one wants to add more games. The season's long enough. Uh, That was January 12th. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, January 22nd, 2022. Eight months later, on September 2nd, 2022, the college football playoff board, made up of presidents from each conference, made the decision, you guys couldn't do this with all of your surveys and diagrams and gathering data, so we'll just do it. Uh, we vote to expand the playoff from 4 to 12. Now, you clowns, go figure out when you're going to do it, but we're going to do it. Well, didn't they hear the issues about player safety, length of season, calendar for college football? I guess. But they also heard people say, it's probably worth about a half billion dollars if you expand from 4 to 12, and said, oh, yeah, we voted. We're going to go from 4 to 12. Now, you guys go figure it out. That was on... September 2nd. Eight days later, ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips. We're excited about the opportunity for college football to expand its playoffs from 4 to 12. We look forward to the ongoing dialogue of how we get to that. It's not as easy to work through some of the committed contracts and TV partnerships we have, but we're excited about what lies ahead. That was eight months later. Now nine months later... From that January day that he was so adamant to the idea of expanding for all the reasons he gave. Yesterday, Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner at the Basketball Media Days, regarding the college football play of expansion, quote, There's a lot to push to make it happen in twenty four. We're trying. We're committed to doing it. We really are. Across ten conferences in Notre Dame, we feel good about the work that's been done. Excited about it. We're really unified in trying to get it done. It's the logistics that are difficult. Time may not be on our side, but there's a lot of push to try to get this thing done. It's an exciting time for college football. What? Huh? Just remember, and I'm not blaming Jim Phillips. I mean, you could say, just be honest, the conference saw the new media deals done in the Big Ten, the struggle the Pac-12 is having sees their revenue situation, knows that the only way to generate more revenue with the current media deal for the ACC is either A, Notre Dame joins the league, or B, the college football playoff expands because it could be worth another $100 million to his league. Which then leads to the other money idea. The college basketball tournament is going to expand. When? I don't know. But it's going to expand. The contract is still set for several years, I think it's eight more years, but it will expand. Why? Because it means more money. I don't know what model. Maybe the sixty eight goes to uh ninety six. Maybe it's uh eighty. I don't know what it is. It will expand. And it's not going to expand because we need to get more seventeen and fifteen teams in the NCAA tournament. It's not going to expand because someone clamors to go, you know, I'd rather watch the 11th place team in the ACC than the winner from the Patriot League. It's going to expand because it's more money. And the commissioner of a league that used to be known for its great basketball traditions and success, that still has great basketball traditions and success, but as a shell of what it was, the sense of when it was, hey, basketball, we play a little football. Now it's a you know 15, sometimes 16-team league that needs more money. So he'll be for it. As will other commissioners when someone says, well, by adding these X number of games means it's more money, means I'm all on board. Now, they may do a model that asks the winner of the Patriot League instead of, The miracle of winning six games to win a championship, you might have to win eight. While the number one team of the country may have to win six. But it is about money. And it will ultimately lead to the expansion of what many people think is a great model now. Although that model, (laughs) that model isn't 64, it's 68. And even the women's tournament, which now they realize, if sold independently... Of other NCAA championships. is worth a heck of a lot more than it currently has been sold for. Some will go, well, why stop at 64 with them? So it will expand. Because it ultimately comes back to money. So just like the NFL owners want more money of the Washington franchise, in order to get it probably feels like it has to get rid of the current guy who owns the team because of all of his issues. The same thing even happens in college football when a commissioner of a league once said he is so adamantly opposed... ...for the biggest issue regarding player safety and length of schedule... ...to all on board and hoping to make it happen in time for 2024. We didn't do anything to improve player safety from nine months ago. We didn't do anything to shrink the number of games... ...that will be required to win the championship in a 12-team model. It just came down to we need to make more money to keep up with those... ...that we're trying to compete with, so this is the way to do it. So therefore... We'll change our position, which is kind of what happens every day in politics. I've got an idea for a bill, and in order to get support, I've got to put your pork in it and your pork in it, and selling the bill that I had that I thought was a good idea includes a bunch of crap that I don't even know what it has to do with what my idea was. Welcome to everyday world decisions. And that's where we find ourselves when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, tonight, 5 o'clock coverage for UCF and Temple. Uh, a reminder, Orlando City Soccer has their playoff match coming up on Sunday night against Montreal. And that Club is de foot also... De Montreal.
1: Huh? Club de foot, Montreal.
0: Unless there was a significant increase in the paycheck I got, that wouldn't be happening. <laughs> uh, that match begins... Uh, Just after 8 o'clock. Eight, 8 o'clock and our pregame will be at uh, 7.30. Scott will be in the call uh, for that one. Um, Cam Miller talked some college football in the field of the big performances from last week and went to watch for this coming week. History lesson. Next. Uh, yes, and these boys and girls gather around. Time for a history lesson. Normally the 11 o'clock hour on a Thursday, but we got a busy 11 o'clock hour, so it runs. Uh, now, gather around. Grab your favorite pastry. Scott, if you could choose a pastry right now, what would you, you go with? Uh, cinnamon roll? Whoa. Oh. Does that count? Like that a c- good hot cinnamon roll? Yeah.
1: Does that count as a pastry? Sure. Okay, good.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, oh, bear claw? I'm not going to lie. I started panicking. Like, what actually is a pastry? I was about to say brownie. Oh, you know, it would have been accepted. Brownie's not a pastry, though, right? You're like a warm
0: cinnamon roll yeah with maybe like a hot chocolate
1: well, remember i used to i remember i was a, a lead chef at a cinnabon related
0: eatery lead chef sure wasn't there like the simple formula how to spray the stuff on and put it in the oven and then pull it back out no no, no you put them in the oven first and then you put the icing ah. on uh, okay wow there's a process to it okay sure so uh gather around the uh, boys and girls uh I remember years ago, one day I'm out at UCF, and one of the uh, facilities operators that spent a lot of time on football, as a lot of athletic departments put most resources in that, one day said, Hey, Mark, come here. I want to show you something. And this is in the maybe my second or third year that I'm doing games at UCF. And I started in 95 and said, I want to show you something. Went in his office, and he took out a series of uh, uh, blueprints and said, look at this. And I said, wow, what is that? They said, well, someday we're going to build an on-campus football stadium at UCF. And I said, oh, wow. <laughs> I, said, you know, I said, when? He goes, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know. But there are blueprints. We've had architectural firms that have come up, and then he took out a second set of blueprints. Scott was in one of those nice, you know, big circular things. Oh, I they love roll those, it up, you yeah. Know, and they kind of push it back in, mm-hmm. and, and it, it closes it up. You and seal like, it up, yeah. it's yeah. great. He takes another one and rolls it out across the table. And I'm like, wow, this looks awesome. Then a, a series of drawings. And showed, you know, what the outside would look like, and people walking up to the stadium, and parents holding kids and everything. And I said, well, when? And they go, I don't, I don't know. Um... And for years, that used to be a joke out at UCF. UCF played their home games at the then-called Citrus Bowl. And people said, well, what else do you need? Stadium seats 60-plus thousand. You got a stadium. And, and you know, UCF's program had success when it was Division Two and 1AA. And then when it made the move to Division One, But... It used to be, hey, if you had twenty thousand people a game, that was a big deal. It was like it was a nice crowd. But in a stadium that seats sixty plus thousand, got lost. You look around and go, oh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, but you can't build a stadium. Well, why not? Well, for one, where are you going to get the money for it? And how do you raise that kind of money? And why would you leave? And over the years, in the early two thousands. Several people and influential donors at UCF began to kind of question, what are we doing? In the standpoint of the city kind of has you. They don't need to give you a good financial deal, and and that may have been smart business by the city. The city may tell you otherwise it was a pretty good deal, but UCF wasn't generating a lot of money on home games. The city kept a lot of stuff because the city knew, where they are going to go? There was no alternative for UCF to play its football games, and by announcing their move to Division I and from Independence to the MAC. If their goal was to grow in a conference, they would need a, a bigger stadium. And in the sense, you had that stadium. Meaning if you're going to draw more than $20,000, you are right there. So the city didn't really take UCF serious, although UCF began to say, look, how about upgrades to the Citrus Bowl? And that came at a time when, and for those that live here, you might uh, lived here back then, when we had the venues packages. Well, you know, we need to upgrade the Citrus Bowl, but the Magic need a new arena. And they want to build a performing arts center. So that became a hot button in political battles in this town. The city, the county, raising money. Throughout the way, the only, the only facility that had real money donated was the performing arts center. That had real money. From donors. Yes. Uh, Their names are on the wall. And, and then there was the, well, the magic need a facility or, or what? Or they'll move which was never going to happen, but there were enough people that floated that out there, so you had to give the Magic an arena. And the DeVos family did chip in some dollars along the way, and then there was the Citrus Bowl, where, okay, we'll get to upgrades. But UCF felt like uh, that was taking too long. Then President John Hitt and some other influential donors, guys like Jerry Roth, Dick Nunes, David Albertson, and some others were pretty influential in saying, look, We may be able to build this thing on campus. That piece of land you talked about out there? Let's do it. And through a combination of private funds that were raised, and at the time, the way the structure was in the state, UCF was able to get access to dollars that would help build a stadium. Now, was it going to be a complete modern cement stadium? No. It was... A different plan. And the idea was it could be built quickly. How quick? Two years. Wait, what? Yeah, two years. And ground was broken in the spring of 2006, in March, after the UCF board voted in December 2005. And 18 months later, UCF opened the stadium against the Texas Longhorns, with more than 45,000 people. It is kind of comical though. Of course there was a weather delay in the opening game <laughs> of Lightning because we always have to have some type of weather delay. to um, the, the the drama. And as I wrote in my column today, I do remember everything about my drive to campus that day. I had never driven to the UCF campus on a game day. There was no reason to. The game wasn't played there. And the first day it was incredible. People parked all across campus tailgating like it has been all over the country when people did do it. And barbecues and tents up and playing football toss and uh, cornhole and everything you can think of. It was a normal tailgate. That was new to UCF. Texas had RVs that rolled into town on Wednesday for a Saturday game. Heck, they bought season tickets so their fans could get into uh, the stadium on that day. And it was an incredible day at UCF to build a stadium, to get it done in less than two years on a nationally televised broadcast. And Scott's got the clip to play of the first touchdown UCF scored after Texas had scored. This is the TV version. Bob Wischusen was on the call, uh, chose it because he adds some flavor to what then became the bounce house, then our radio call. But here's that first Actually, the last two plays on that drive.
2: That's a golden drive that Israel has engineered to this point. Goes play action, stands in and delivers a strike to Smith. Inside the 10. Knocked out of bounds. Inside the five. They'll mark him at about the two-yard line. It's first and goal knights again at 24. The change (laughs) for
0: the UCF.
2: This is an excellent decision by Kyle Israel. He's going to get a runoff with the wide receiver. Kevin Smith is going to fill the void and watch the throw by Israel. He invites the defensive end across the line of scrimmage and then with perfect timing lays it outside. Again, UCF spreads out Texas on first and goal of the two. A shotgun for Israel. Inside. Touchdown, Kevin Smith. There's a flag down on the far side. We'll have to check the penalty. The Bright House is bedlam, for now.
1: Oh,
2: and if possible, it just got louder.
0: And on that day, the Bounce House was born. Uh, Texas won the game against UCF 35-32. It was a really close football game, and it began what now is the 99 previous games played, and tonight marks the 100th game at what now is known as FBC Mortgage Stadium. Uh, but that day was incredible, and it changed everything for UCF. Now, the reason why the Knights are going to the Big 12 is because of 41 wins beginning in, December, uh, beginning in 2017, but the stadium did change everything. It brought people to campus that did not go to campus. It created student activity. promoted the school. It led to millions of dollars in game day revenue that UCF was not making by playing games at the Citrus Bowl. It changed the athletic budget. It gave UCF the ability to invest in its programs. It brought donor dollars in. And it was an ultimate game changer. And while certain schools to the west of the state mocked the stadium because of the building of it as opposed to the traditional cement stadium... It's funny how that group now is thinking about spending 8 to 10 times what UCF spent to build it on campus stadium to play catch up to the program that they once led that now is blown by them on many fronts. And there've been incredible moments of that stadium, of uh, victories that led to conference championship games and uh, you know, beatdowns of Pitt and Stanford in the heat, uh the incredible Mike Hughes return against South Florida. Then the next week, the double overtime game against Memphis. Uh, the following year, the comeback with Daryl Mack at quarterback uh, for UCF. And uh, tonight's the 100th game against Temple. Not a ranked team, but significant in the sense the 100th game, space game uh, for uh, UCF, and it changed so much. Not just in athletics, it changed so much about the university in the brand building for the Knights. And a big part of why they're going where they are into the Big 12. The success of the football team in that four year stretch is a big factor. But that stadium is kind of like the thing to see when you go on campus and on a game day has become quite special. UCF is 76 and 23 at that stadium. Yeah. What did you think the
1: first time the stadium started to bounce? Do you remember that? Well, it was that play.
0: That's what I mean. Yeah. Um,. You can't test for that. When UCF did the the, the shock test, and you might remember, they had to bring the engineering group in because they were a bit concerned. Mm -hmm. Uh, So before the game, when the stadium is full, you're like, wow. And fans are excited when the team began to come out, and Mm -hmm. you're like, wow, it does shake. And then that touchdown by Kevin Smith gave you the actual feel of, is it bouncing? And I remember people going, is this safe? Yeah. and again, they had the engineers come out to to you know check and make sure it was safe, and it was, and it is. and uh, look, the stadium still is being tweaked and 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 worked on, and as I wrote in my column today, by the time they get the game 200, there may be a sixty thousand capacity at that stadium with plans to move forward on that. but yeah, I look back and I've been fortunate to do every game at that stadium. And from where it was that September day in 2007 to where it is today and, and all the games that have happened there, it's pretty neat to watch. There are many stadiums in this country. The majority are much older than what UCF has and have had great historical moments, but it's pretty neat to look back. And UCF to this day is the only school to open both a football or a stadium and basketball arena the same year. They opened up um, what now is Edition Financial Arena, and they did that both in 2007. So there you go. That's today's history uh, lesson. Uh, When we come back, we'll get on the field with college football. Good friend Cam Miller, Pro Football Network. His weekly visit is next.
3: As the snap makes the handoff, throws left, throws in zone for six.
2: Touchdown. Time to check in with Pro Football Network's Cam Miller for the latest on college football.
0: What a round. And a touchdown.
2: Get the latest college football news at profootballnetwork.com.
0: We talk uh football what happens on the field in college football from last week this week and uh, always keep our eye down the road to the NFL draft. Cam is here senior director of College Football Network as well as NFL Draft at profootballnetwork.com. We say good morning you guys. Rolled out big announcement today College Football Network, huh?
2: Yeah, it's uh it's a big day in the the industry I guess I'd say cuz I'm going to we're going to shake up the the way that that the sport of college football is covered. So, yeah, launching January. But we'll have uh, some things coming up over the next few weeks before we even uh, get to that new year. So College Football Network coming January 2nd.
0: Well, uh, we look forward to that. Congrats. I know it's a a huge challenge when you do things like that. I know you spent a lot of time, and uh, we'll look forward to it. All right, let's dive in. I want to ask you about a lot of performances uh, last week of some guys, a lot of attention surprising on uh, the Alabama-Texas A&M game. Uh, A&M had a chance to win. Uh, banged up at quarterback as we're both sides. What 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 are we learning about Alabama? Is it that Bryce Young is that important because um, you know, Texas A&M could have won? If Tennessee is to win this week, and, and I'll ask you about that, you know there'll be plenty of critics going, you know, they should have lost to Texas, could have lost to Texas A&M, and they could be 3-3. Three and three.
2: We are looking at a team, an Alabama team, that is beatable, but we're also looking at the discrepancy in the talent gap across the board, that it's not just Bryce Young that makes this team tick it is a team that knows how to win that knows how to hold things off and but but yeah we are Quinn Ewers and a better play call on fourth down by Texas A&M to to seeing a team in Alabama that's four and two right now the uh you gotta think there's a better play call that Jimbo could have called in that last play situation for A&M but uh here we are Bama still 6-0 and they found a way to win the offense did look significantly different they did not trust Jalen Miller to, to throw him down the field. Uh, everything was sort of checked down. It was a shorter, quicker read system for him. And so if you look at it, I don't know if that's an indictment on his talent or if it's just he hasn't installed a lot of the playbook because they didn't think he was gonna have to play this uh, you know, this summer, this offseason. Or if it's just a matter of that's his strength right now. So uh, you know, we'll we'll see as we get going, we'll also see ultimately what makes this game a, a pivotal matchup in the SEC, but whether Bryce Young plays or
0: not. Um, look, you had to be impressed what Tennessee did to LSU and Hendon Hooker. Give me an idea the the depth of talent. Josh had a rebuild a roster. A lot of guys left transfer portal. Is there more than just Hendon Hooker? What other potential pro prospects are they dealing with at Tennessee?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting to, to watch the growth of Brew McCoy as well. If you followed you know high school football recruiting and Brew McCoy's journey to Tennessee that had a stint at Texas and a stint at USC back home and now he's seemingly found his home so uh, to, to that end, Cedric Tillman is definitely their best pro prospect at this point and he didn't even play against LSU and And we'll see if he's able to also go on Saturday against Bama, but it's, uh, it's a talented roster from, from top to bottom. We're starting to see the difference in good recruiting versus great recruiting and Josh Eibel's been able to pull together some transfer portal athletes, some players that are he's getting the best out of, the most out of and then also players that are going to make impacts not just this year, but next year as well. So, you know, Hooker's the the marquee ticket player in terms of grabbing from the transfer portal, and all of a sudden you could see the growth last year as he started to grasp the offense. He's speaking of that first-round conversation as well, just because of the way he's handled himself and some of those raw athletic tools that he he uh, presents. But then on defense, the talented secondary, and they get some guys to get after the pass rushing game.
0: Um. I've asked you this over the years about system guys and, and, and how they translate. Will Rogers is putting up Mike Leach when it's working offensive numbers. What is the read on Will Rogers?
2: You know, he does some things. If you look back to last year, Bailey's out, sort of transcended the air raid system at Western Kentucky. He was a guy who you said, wow, he's making some of these NFL throws. They're not just schemed open, five wide throws underneath throws. And I think Will Rogers is doing that as well this year. If, if Zappi was able to go in the sixth round last year in the 2022 NFL draft, I think Will Rogers is, is creeping up that list as well. There's some concerns with some of his mechanics, his lower body movement as well when he does launch, but there's no denying the fact that he's accurate. He has touch, he has poise. And I think what's really stepped up his game this year is the fact that he's able to, to throw from any platform and he's able to break and contain in the pocket and use some of his that, that, uh, athleticism that he has and not lose accuracy on any of his throws. So I think we're looking at Will Rogers, who, again, is going to transcend the air rate system in terms of a draft evaluation.
0: Is he a Bonaconda pit? If you didn't know about him before, maybe you do now with a performance of six touchdowns, more than 300 yards. Are we talking about an interesting prospect that also now moves up the draft border, or are we also careful about usage here?
2: We're we're careful about usage. We're looking at his game logs over the past few years, and he's he's only... uh, this year alone, he's going to get more work than he's had in his entire career. And so I think that is where you look at it as how many carries did he need to get going to get up to full strength, to get up to full speed. But there's no knocking the the, the talent that he has. He's got that patience and burst to hit the hole of a young Le'Veon Bell in the pros. Uh, and so once he gets going and once he gets cooking up to full speed, there's no way it's going to catch him either. He uh, you know He's a big bruiser, but he's also got some shifty elusiveness that uh, open field, you're not going to bring him down. He also contributes in the passing game. He doesn't get looked at as much. Uh, in his first two seasons, but if we're looking at uh, the, the change in offensive scheme at Pitt, he's also a guy who contributes to the backfield, a, a true three-down back for next year as long as he doesn't uh, get nicked up this year.
0: Their offense, it's not Iowa. I mean, no one its an offense like Iowa, but, I mean, Brett, Brett Bielema is about as 1970 NFL offense as you could be. Um, give me a read on Chase Brown, their running back.
2: Man, if if Bielema could try out nine offensive linemen, I feel like he would, right? right. This is a, this is old-school football with a fullback as well. Chase Brown, though, another guy who you no know, usage, length of career in the college ranks is going to harm him in terms of high draft stock. But another guy who, you know, if, if Jonathan Taylor had that sort of um, between-the-tackles ability that they then went to showcase in his last year uh, at Wisconsin, that he could also contribute to the passing game, but they don't need him to. In the nfl chase brown's a similar guy where you don't need him to contribute in the passing game because he's a guy who's going to average five six yards a carry he's going to keep you on schedule as an offense he's going to break contain a couple times here and there and get you some chunk plays you know he's, he's not the sexiest running back he's not the flashiest of guys but you know he wears you down he grinds you out He is a perfect brett bielema running back and he is a perfect running back for those early down situations in the nfl
0: um People may not know much about them because this is the first year of FBS football. The antiquated rule in which they cannot play in a bowl game is ridiculous, but what it is, is there talent, James Madison, to justify the top 25 ranking?
2: 100%. I mean, you are looking at a team who utilized the transfer portal, and they were also the top dog in the FCS on the East Coast. You know, North Dakota State's always going to take the claim as the, the top dog in the FCS right now, but JMU was pulling the other of recruiting classes that were beating the rest of the Sun Belt. And it's showing we're, we're looking at had they were able to, to be able to keep Antoine Wells would have been a coup who's now at South Carolina and the leading receiver, South Carolina, him and Chris Thornton last year, both over a thousand yards. Todd Senseo as well, throwing the ball incredibly well. This coaching staff as well. There's a Shanahan as an offensive coordinator and a Signetti at, at head coach. These two guys are destined for power five jobs and big power five jobs in the very dear future because of the job they've been able to do. But it's a defense that's stymieing. All levels have draft prospects. Isaac Ukul off the edge as well will be a guy you'll hear in day two go drafted. It's a uh, it's a talented team from top to bottom, and it showcases what you're able to do if you build it the right way.
0: We talked last week, I was really intrigued to watch this because the quarterbacks of Tulane and ECU, and I came away really impressed by Tulane's defense. Holton uh, Holt Ayler said that first uh, touchdown, and that was it. And, I mean, Tulane's got some studs on defense, too, man.
2: Yeah, number thirty-seven, Megan Clark. If you haven't watched him play, it's a—he uh, sort of flies around the field like a smaller Ed Reed does. He, he'll hit you on every single play. He'll smash you in the mouth, and then he'll also take something off of his hips that he'll—he'll meet you at the catch point and rip off an interception. This is uh, how they utilize their defense and how they roll their their corners and their safeties into—it's almost a hybrid five cornerback role where you have the, the safeties are that talented that they could cover man coverage on the outside as well. So it's a, it's a unique defense. I give a lot of credit to that staff with what they've been able to build and how they've been able to do it. Uh, against ECU, we saw it where the hole-nailers whole came off of a six-touchdown performance and 467 yards and, and barely has to use garbage time to get up to 280. So this is a, it's a talented team there. I don't know how they slipped up against Southern Miss because this is a team that honestly can push Cincinnati with what they want to do uh, for the American this year. Uh,
0: J.J. McCarthy threw for 300. I don't know if that means much. He did it against Indiana. Uh, The game against Penn State this week, uh, I I think I've asked you before, Joey Porter Jr. is legit. Um, Give me some thoughts on McCarthy and then the matchup this week against a Penn State defense. Got guys like Porter and some other good defensive players.
2: Yeah, this is a test of who J.J. McCarthy actually is. It's also a test of how much they trust J.J. McCarthy running the offense. I thought he left a little bit on the table, which sounds weird in a three-touchdown, 300-yard performance against Indiana, but that is a secondary that I've not seen a drastic change in – in a unit on a power five team in, in some time with how good they were in twenty nineteen, Taiwan Mullen winning freshman Amer- all American, and now they look like a bunch of scrubs. Uh, they do not like a look like a big ten defense. So McCarthy left him on the table. He was inaccurate. He short short armed some of them. So he's got to bring his A game because some of those that are that are short armed, short hopped or, you know, if he if he wants to throw off platform against Penn State, he's not gonna have the time to because he's gonna be rushed off the edge much better. He's gonna have much better coverage and you say you named him Joey Porter Junior. The guy who leads the country, uh, two pass breakups the game, and he has some highlight real play in him. So he's got a McCarthy's got to clean up his game if they want to escape this Penn State game with a victory.
0: There's a number of great games this week, and Oklahoma State TCU is among them. I-, I feel like Max Liggins playing his ninth year, uh, but <laughs> um, but he gets the job done. I mean, when healthy, and all of a sudden here's TCU that people didn't think about. It's undefeated. Oklahoma State's really good. It- it's a great Big Twelve, which I think's the deepest league in the country. So.
2: I would agree with you as well. It's it's not just top loaded anymore with top two teams. If we're looking at an Oklahoma team, that's probably going to finish ninth. Uh, that's how talented they are. Overall, Max Duggan has always had something in him. You know, I don't I don't want to use the proverbial or, or whatever he's using nowadays. He's got the dog in him and used the X ray. I'm not going to go there, but he's a guy who he never got a lot of luck and he never got a lot of help from his receivers. He had a first round receiver in Jalen Rager, who we can now look back and maybe say that it was Max Duggan who pushed Jalen Rager in the first round because he was able to give him some throws and some balls that, you know, no one else could. He had a lot of drops early on in his career, and we're seeing him now. He's finding the field. He's seeing the field incredibly well. He's throwing his receivers open, and he's making some of these highlight reel throws that look normal and look for easy. They're easy for him to pull off. So, to me, the turnaround with how fast this team's been able to adjust to the new scheme and what they want to do offensively and on defense, has been remarkable. So uh, I'm a I'm a Horn Fog fan just in general because of uh, how much they make college football better this season in my opinion. But Max Duggan gets a lot of that credit.
0: What do you do with your scouting report on uh, uh, on Van Dyke after he throws for 500? I'm not knocking the numbers. They basically abandoned the run, and North Carolina's defense is giving up a ton of yards. But you're kind of like, okay, that's the guy I want. And you know, there's been some talk that Gattis' offense doesn't suit what Van Dyke was comfortable with. Rhett Lashley. And as we've talked over the years about coaching changes, coordinator changes, we sometimes forget what it is. And I wonder if the performance last week makes Miami reassess what they do on offense.
2: I, I think you would be silly not to. You would like to have those those drives end up in touchdowns, and I think that that's not necessarily Van Dyke. Those are play calls coming in. What was it? About eight plays inside the five, and they they got a field goal out of it, right? And so. This um, playing from behind is never fun, but playing from behind sometimes allows you to utilize or showcase your talents. And I think that's what we saw from Van Dyke. He's a guy who, when you let him free, let him use his athletic ability and his knowledge of the field, he's going to see it a little bit better. He seems boxed in by the structure of that offense and what they want to do. And he seems like he's thinking a little bit too much when when the plays are being called, you know, these scripted plays, and also when they break into what is not scripted afterwards. I think he, he is much better. And we saw it at times under Lashley as well where he was great in that scripted offense for Lashley because it was free-flying and it allowed him to get the reads out. When they had to go on the fly, it was bubble screens and, and throws two yards behind the line of scrimmage. Nowadays, if, if he's able to trust his arm and use his arm, he trusts his arm more than when we're seeing some of that accuracy and, and strength that he has because he's got talent in that arm.
0: Um, earlier this week, Bianchi and I debated a little bit, and then we're talking to a few other people, and I said this about Anthony Richardson. Is it possible six games into this season – and he may end up being a very good quarterback. I think today you would say that he needs 2023. 20, but is it possible he's just not as good as people thought? And it doesn't mean that Florida can't win some games. And maybe Billy Napier may be saying, I got a lot to still work on here. Or is something else happening? Is it possible after six games that he's just not as good as people thought he would be?
2: Uh, yes. I think at this point, everything's possible with this kid including what happens on the field, every throw is possible with him. And I think that's what people wanted to sink their teeth into uh, this offseason. And we talked about it, about he's such a small sample size. And you can go the other side of the ball. You can say Eli Rick, such a small sample size. And now he's not even cracked the lineup for Alabama as well. So Anthony Richardson is is that player that you maybe thought he was, but he's also the player that you hoped he wasn't. And so we're seeing it unfold in front of our eyes. If Billy Napier was able to get 300-yard passing games out of Levi Lewis, all the credit to him in the world, Levi Lewis was a great college football quarterback, but if he was able to get that out of, out of Levi Lewis and he could only get 6-20 from Anthony Richardson, something about the player needs to be said, and I think he absolutely needs 2023 to to prove his draft stock because right now all he is is a couple of highlight reel throws, and, and that's about it.
0: Give me the best G5 player that we don't know about.
2: Oh, that is incredibly tough. I'm going to go... Fresno State, linebacker, or UNLV linebacker, Austin giant. This guy is a ball i mean, a ball hawk in coverage, and he is a downhill thumper in the run game. And if you haven't seen him, he's up there in the top five in tackles for a loss, and he's up there in interceptions for linebackers. This is the kid who flies across the field, and then I'll, I'll also stay local in that same vein. Ivan Pace Jr. at Cincinnati. We we knew he was good in the MAC when he played for Miami, joining his brother Deshaun Pace in the linebacking court at Cincinnati. He now is maybe the best G5 linebacker, and up there at the top five linebacker in the country.
0: Who wins USC-Utah?
2: I I can't see a Kyle Whittingham team lose two in a row to teams from L.A. That being said, I think that there's a little bit too much talent right now that USC is hard to figure out and hard to get a read on. The only thing that they have going for them is that it's in Utah that night, and it, maybe the lights will be a little bit too bright for this USC team right away. But it's it'll be a lot closer than people think, but I, I'd pull USC in a field
0: goal. Uh, follow them on Twitter, at Cam Check out work at uh, profootballnetwork.com. And uh, also get set for collegefootballnetwork.com, uh, CFN365 on Twitter, PFN 365 also on Twitter. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you. My pleasure man as always. Thank you. Uh, busy 11 o'clock hour coming up. Max Strews, the Miami Heat's going to join us, uh, and Mike O'Donnell, who's a better outside shooter? Oh, I mean we've got to stick with our guy. Max Struess. Uh, the news with Scott kicks off the 11 o'clock hour
2: next.
0: Let's really do the news. Yes. Now it is time to do the news. But now it's time uh, for the news. 11 o'clock hour, WYGM Orlando, WJRR, HD2 Cocoa Beach, Orlando sports leader, Martin Enos, the Meta Sports.
1: What's going on, everyone? 11 o'clock, another edition of the news, the award winning news segment. I'm Scott Harris. That's Mark Daniels. Uh We shall run through the top stories in the sports world. First up in the news, Mark, this is the biggest story going on in the sports world. I know we've talked a little bit about this on the show previously. Two anglers accused of stuffing fish with lead weights in fillets in an attempt to win thousands of dollars in an Ohio fishing tournament were indicted Wednesday on charges of attempted grand theft in other counts. Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky were indicted in Cleveland on felony charges of cheating, attempting grand theft, and possessing criminal tools and misdemeanor charges of unlawfully owning wild animals. They're due to be arraigned on October 26th.
0: I read that story
1: yesterday. It's like rocking the uh, competitive fishing community. Yeah. It's It's a massive story.
0: There's a 30 for 30 there. Uh yeah. This I think is what tipping the scales in your <gasps> favor. Hello.
1: Hello. Like if you're these two guys, you don't want Don Van Natta showing up at your house, right? Wow. Uh speaking of Don Van Nada, uh he along with a couple other uh writers from ESPN are investigative journalists. Uh what is it Mark? Daniel Snyder says he's got dirt on the NFL and the other owners, and he's... Twitting. Well, the
0: ESPN story says that Daniel Snyder has gathered dirt on owners and Commissioner Roger Goodell, hiring investigative firms to gather up information to fight to keep his team.
1: Cool. That should be fun to watch, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was joking with... I told this to, to, to Mark. I was joking with Bianca. He's like, I feel like tonight, every time the Bears score, he's like, all right, here's here's five more emails then. Right. Where do you think that this this ends?
0: The what, Snyder? Yep. Voted out.
1: Yep. How quickly?
0: Uh, well, he'll challenge it legally, so it it may take a couple of years. Hmm. Whatever we just made, and rightfully so, about the sales price of the Denver Broncos when that franchise becomes available, mm-hmm. that is the record and it's not even close I think it's valued at like 5.5 oh, I, I, I wouldn't even know where to guess mm-hmm. but with a new stadium that the league is going to be behind 7-8 mm-hmm. uh, billion dollars you want to go in? go in where? go in on it? go in on what? buying a team it's not Dogecoin, daddy-o
1: Kyle Wright, baseball's only 20 game winner, threw six brilliant innings to outduel Zach Wheeler as the Braves evened their NL division series at one game apiece, blanking the Phillies 3-0 on Wednesday night. After City Rain delayed the first pitch by nearly three hours, Wright surrendered just two hits and claimed the win when the Braves got to Wheeler for three runs in the bottom of the sixth inning. The reigning World Series champions were in a uh, must-win situation after losing the opener of the best-of-five series 7-6.
0: Wheeler pitched really well last night, just gave up a couple of key pitches. Uh, It's an important win for the Braves. Padres had a massive win.
1: And how come you guys didn't play last night?
0: I don't know. I I have no idea. The Yankees were off by getting the bye. They play game one. They're off game two. It's a gorgeous day in New York. There's no off day game four and five. It's just it, it's just stupid.
1: Qatar's World Cup chief Nasser Al Qatar has said there will be special zones at the tournament for drunk football supporters to quote sober up. The sale well, hang
0: of that area, huh?
1: The sale of alcohol in Qatar will move from hotel bars to fan zones and outside stadiums during the World Cup, which begins on November twentieth, as a Muslim country. Qatar is not used to dealing with public drunkenness, potentially on a mass scale, but has decided to control the issue by ensuring there's an alternative to arrests or jail time. Quote, there are plans in place for people to sober up if they've been drinking excessively. Mm. And what have we decided? Are we Qatar or Qatar?
0: I thought we were going Qatar, but, yeah. I, you know, I just think we got to stick with it. Okay. Whatever we're going with.
1: What well, the World Cup in Qatar, there will be sober up zones. Yeah. Uh, ACC commissioner and former colleague of ours, Jim Phillips, told ESPN...
0: Not the th- same guy.
1: ...that there's a lot of push to expand... The college football playoff in 2024. The college football playoff board of managers voted in early September to expand the playoff to 12 teams in 2026. But the 10 FBF commission FES commissioners and Notre Dame athletic director Jack Swarbrick have been working towards expansion two years earlier. We're trying. We're committed to doing it. We really are across 10 conferences in Notre Dame. We feel. Really good about the work that's been done across all ten conferences in Notre Dame the last five or six months. We're really unified in trying to get it done. It's just the logistics of this thing are difficult. Not insurmountable, but time is not our friend uh, our, of ours of right I mean, now. mean?
0: Time's not our friend. Time's
1: not your friend. Time, Mark, I don't know if you realize, time keeps on moving into the future.
0: Uh huh. Thanks, Steve Miller.
1: Oh, yeah, that is his song. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so there is that going. By the way, can you explain? I think you, I asked you this the other day. Why is James Madison not allowed to play a bowl game?
0: Because there's an antiquated rule that when teams make a, a, a move from one level of football to the next, that you have to wait a certain number of years to be eligible. It is so antiquated, it's ridiculous. But yes, James Madison can go undefeated this year and will not be playing in a bowl game. Mm. And there's no appeal. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Knock, knock. Yeah. The Miami Dolphins' ping pong table in their locker room. Do you see this? Yeah. Gone. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, uh, as they need to refocus their commitment to football. Okay. Coach Mike McDaniels, uh, said he was pretty pumped about the decision, not necessarily because he thought the table should be removed, but because it was an example of his team captains taking ownership of the team, something he said he challenged them to do as leaders. Ping-pong table. That's the problem. Not the fact that they're down to their third quarterback, but it's a ping-pong table. Mm -hmm. Right. That's it. On the news, be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. Leave us a rating. This is a five-star segment. Leave us a five-star rating. This is also an award-winning news segment. We want to shout out the Microphone net, who recently what? crowned this segment the top-rated sports news segment and, Mark, most informative sports news segment in the country.
0: I don't even know where that comes from.
1: Microphone Sports. You talking to a microphone, I, correct?
0: I, I just don't think that's accurate. But
1: you don't know that you weren't there at the award ceremony.
0: All right, you were invited tonight. covered at UCF and Temple begins at five o'clock. Uh, the ever popular interview with Terry Mahajer, the UCF athletic director, is at five thirty-five, and uh, kickoff is set for seven o'clock. Uh, We've got uh, the coverage for you. Space game for UCF, the 100th game, played at their stadium. And uh, we'll have all the coverage uh, for you. And again, Orlando City Soccer, Sunday night, 8 o'clock, just after eight, their playoff match against Montreal. And uh, tomorrow night, Magic Basketball, their final preseason game.
1: Cavaliers come to town.
0: And uh, gets set for the regular season to start uh, next week. So all that and more coming up. Miami Heat shooting guard Max Struess joins us next. The Vita Sports, Martin Daniels, brought to you by our friends at Greenway Ford and Greenway Jeep Ram. One location, 2,000 new and pre-owned vehicles to choose from. 0% financing available, up to 40% off original factory MSRP certified. Greenwayford.com and Greenwayjeepram.com. Your complete satisfaction is our uh, commitment. Uh, played in a preseason basketball game last night, so we appreciate his time today. and. Heat uh, shooting guard slash Ford. Max Struce joins us. He's here courtesy of the folks at Evo that helped him get the best vision of his life. Max, good morning. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys? I'm good. Tell me about the process with Evo and how it's kind of changed your vision.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's been unbelievable. Um, You know, I got the procedure done, uh, you know, two and a half months ago on on August 1st and um, have never looked back. You know, I've had. I've had glasses and contacts since the fifth grade and, you know, my whole family's kind of struggled with, with their vision. So, you know, my whole life just growing up, I've always wanted to get a procedure done to where I didn't have to worry about contacts anymore. And, um, you know, as, as this, you know, Evo procedure came about and I learned more about it, I just, I couldn't turn back. It was, it was the best thing for me. And, uh, I'm so happy. Um, you know, I learned about it and I was able to do it.
0: Was it one of those things after the procedure, like whoa, I didn't realize what it was before now what am I saying
4: yeah yeah it it was crazy uh you know you get the procedure done it only takes about five to seven minutes in each eye you're really you know only getting you know the- the procedure itself in total takes about like thirty minutes so um it, it's really easy and uh you know you're you're done pretty quick and then you walk out of the building being able to see which is which was crazy to me and then uh you know that next morning you wake up you don't have to worry about putting your contacts in you just roll right out of bed and um have perfect vision so uh, i was able to see you know better than 2020 i i measured it at seeing 2010 so it's kind of superhuman power strength that um you know i'm i got i got very lucky to have and um, if it wasn't for Evo, I don't think I'd have that.
0: You can learn more. Go to evoicl.com So you've been in those moments. I wanted to take me on an NBA court where someone loses a contact. Who's really helping find it? Is it just the player? Are five guys kicking in? What's it like when someone loses that contact or an NBA game?
4: <laughs> yeah, that's the worst thing, is getting that contact knocked out. So, uh, you know, this procedure eliminates that and, and kind of helps out with it. But yeah it's pretty funny when when my contact would have got knocked out back to, back in the day that you know everybody acts like they're looking for it, but it really it's only you and and probably the trainer really looking hard for it so um that's just another you know benefit of this is I don't have to carry around contacts anymore and Um, always having extras, you know, put them in. And, uh, you know, that procedure kind of takes everything away from that.
0: Your story is a great one. Uh, You played a small school. You went to DePaul. You didn't get drafted. You bounced between the Celtics and Bulls and had a chance in Miami. If I ask you, what was the moment that you said, I can breathe because I think I've earned my way to playing at this level and I'll stay here? I know you take nothing for granted, but is there a moment, a game, or a time that you look back and go, this is where it turned?
4: Um, I would not say I'm, I'm there yet. Um, you know, you don't want to ever take things for granted and, you know, kind of get comfortable with where you are. Uh, you know, I kind of look at it every day as an opportunity to, you know, keep advancing your career. Um, but I'd say, you know, last year during the playoffs, you know, when I was starting every game and, uh, you know, kind of making an impact on on winning, um, that was kind of a big moment for me in my career where I kind of looked back and, you know, kind of understood the importance of that and and how big it was for me to be, you know, playing those minutes in such crucial games. So, um, you know, that that was a moment for me. But, you know, we're, we're moving on, and, and you know, next year's and just an, next year's a new challenge. And. I'm um, just looking to keep advancing my career and stay consistent with my play, and, and just keep getting
0: better. I think some would say there are very few benefits when people look back on the COVID uh, world that we went through. But did you benefit because of the ACL injury that the calendar was pushed back? That it gave you a chance to kind of heal at a time that the rosters were filling up around the NBA.
4: Honestly, um, you know, I think tearing my ACL was was kind of a blessing in disguise. Um, I think my body needed the break um, from college and, um, you know, it kind of gave me an opportunity to get everything in order and, you know, get my body, you know, right in all aspects. So, um, honestly, it, it probably couldn't happen at a better time. You know, everybody kind of hated COVID and hated the quarantine, but I kind of enjoyed it because it helped me not miss anything, um, during the season, you know, that, that whole time span was, was my recovery process. So, um, you know, I was lucky enough to get another opportunity, you know, after that, Whole uh, injury went down, um, and I've just never looked back.
0: Max truth is with the Miami Heat, courtesy of Evo, You can learn more about the procedure he had done at eboicl dot com. When an outsider hears Heat culture, uh, and says, "You know, I heard about it, but what is Heat culture to you that you live it now?"
4: Yeah, I mean, Heat culture is just coming to work every day, um, ready to ready to put in the time and effort. You know, it takes to be a professional. Um, you know, there's an accountability level to what we do here. And, um, you know, every guy, you know, is, is reliable for the next guy. So we really do, um, you know, enjoy being a team and enjoy each other's successes. And, um, you know, every guy here has a story and has worked their way, um, you know, through many ups and downs to get to where they are. So it only makes us stronger as a unit. And, um, you know, that that's heat culture it is really just, you know, Enjoying each other's success, being accountable for one another, and um you know just coming to work every single day with a, with a great mindset and and being ready to work
0: You started every playoff game uh last year. I know some people have made a, a, a kind of a deal about it because got, Tyler has got hero got his contract. Does starting matter to you
4: um I mean obviously you re- you always want to start i mean that should be your goal um but does it matter no. Uh, what matters to me is, is finishing the game and and you know who's on the court to to win those games and be there in the crucial minutes you know, at the end of the game so um you know whatever we need to do um to get there I, i'm i'm ready and willing to do so you know i know coach bow is is going to put us in the best situation possible um to do that and you know i'm just ready to you know whatever my role may be to play it to to my best abilities and, and you know just do what i'm at
0: I think I know how you'll answer this question, but I'm going to ask it: Duncan Robinson, Max Strus, and Tyler Hero three-point shooting contest. Who wins?
4: I got to take myself, um, but those are, you know, two great shooters. So, um, you know, we're we're lucky to have you know shooting like that on our team. You know, you know, three great shooters who work extremely hard at it. And um, you know, I, I'll take them against anybody
0: uh, in the NBA. But I do respect...
4: You know, they're, they're great shooters.
0: I respect your confidence in picking yourself, though. So um, can you tell, even though you're focused in the game, if you, if you look over during a game and see Pat Riley and Alonzo Mourning sitting next to each other, will their facial expressions tell you how they really feel?
4: Uh, they don't really make facial expressions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the the godfather, Pat Riley, kind of just sits there and and, you know, kind of just Keeps his arms crossed and doesn't really, you know, make any facial expressions. So you never know what he's thinking and, and what he's going to do. So, um, you know, he kind of instills that in you. And, uh, you know, we don't really look, you know, look over there too much, but you always know that he's watching every single day.
0: Um, Two final questions. Explain to the average basketball fan who wonders when I say the grind of 82 games and, and how do you try to prepare yourself for that? There are peaks and valleys. You want more of the highs than the lows. But as you embark on a new season, how do you view that, not just of team goals, but for yourself to know it's a long year and yeah. how you prepare yourself for that?
4: Yeah, the 82 games is a lot. You know, I, I learned that last year was kind of like my first year playing. Uh, almost every single night and then you know we want to we wanna play more than 82 games that's always our goal so we want to be in the playoffs for a long time and a long run so you got to prepare for that uh, and that starts in the summer uh, you know I had a great off season getting my body right um, and you know really taking the time to make sure I was in the best shape possible and, and my body was in the, in the best shape so um, you know I really took that um, and ran with it this summer that was my main goal was to get my body right and you know, Getting this eye surgery was also another part of that. Just looking for any you know, competitive advantage any way possible I can, I can get upon opponents, um, I, I'm always looking to do so. Uh, you know, just being in the best shape and, and, and putting your body um, in the best position possible.
0: Last question. There are many ways players get to the NBA. One can be a first overall pick. Uh, uh, you, you took a different journey. What do you not take for granted about being an NBA player?
4: Everything. Uh you know I, I know uh, I'm very, you know, lucky and, and blessed to be here. Um, you know, and, and given my story, um, you know, I've been at the lowest levels possible. Um, you know, I've I played um Division Two, you know, I've been on ten hour bus rides to games, I've uh you know, had to sit out in college, I've been way You know, all those, you know, ups and downs throughout the year just make the journey more rewarding and, uh, you know, makes you, you know, really understand and appreciate where you're at um, throughout the season.
0: Max Shrews, uh appears courtesy of the, uh, Evo. Uh, learn more about the procedure Max said to help his eyesight. Go to evoicl.com. Max, thanks for joining us. Best of luck this season. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Uh, Max Shrews, great story. Again, he wasn't drafted. Went to a small school uh, before going to uh, DePaul. Uh, He played at Lewis University, and as I mentioned to Scott earlier, when he was uh, with the Celtics, they actually moved him to his first full NBA contract to clear a two-way contract for Taco Fall. He did blow out an ACL, and really, COVID, when the league pushed back its calendar, remember we crowned a champion in October, uh, it gave him the full year to recover that allowed him then, as NBA rosters were getting full, to sign. Because if the league goes to its normal calendar you know, uh, of opening up training camp in September, he may not have been ready, so he benefited from that, made the most of it, and really had a great run at the end of the season last year from Miami. The push now is because Todd Hero got the big extension that he'll start, and actually, Eric Spolstra said the other day that he likely will have Todd Hero start. Max is still going to play a lot, and it's a great story of a guy that wasn't a high draft pick. In fact, he wasn't a draft pick at all, and uh, here he is in uh, the NBA. Uh, we come back. Mike O'Donnell normally joins us on Friday, but, you know, when you're a baller like him, you got to adjust the schedule. We'll uh, check in with our weekly visit with MOD next.
2: Let's go. Time now for Step Back 3 with MOD on the beat of sports. No,
3: I don't have street credit. The guys around me have street cred.
0: Mike O'Donnell is so important that we'll adjust his schedule to fit uh, his schedule. So uh, Mike who normally appears on Friday's show, appears on Thursday's show. But right now it's in a deep conversation with Scott Harris, so uh, I don't know if Mike will be able to join us in the program until he and Scott are done talking to each other, and then maybe we'll get a chance to uh, uh, chat. it's
3: oh. the problem? I'm here. I'm here. I'm we're here. talking House of the Dragon. I, mean, I look
0: up, and Scott's I'm laughing here. and talking, yeah, and it's like, guy. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, sure. uh, maybe you guys want to do your own segment. Do you want me to step out so you guys can talk? We can, if you. want. I, mean, I haven't we're, watched House of Dragon to, the last show. couple of weeks, it's, so just don't, you know, just don't ruin it for me. So, if you guys want to do that on air, I'll, I'll step out a little bit.
3: No, it's it's totally up to you. <gasps> I, I, this is your show. No, I'm, I, yeah. my, my frustration. I was I was talking to Scott. I'm a big Tolkien fan. I'm a huge Tolkien fan. As you know, I am reading the books, Mark. It's not a big deal, mm. but I'll just go ahead and talk about the fact that I'm reading the books. Yeah. And I do. I I I, I confess that um, House of Dragon is it's far superior than rings of power. It's not even close. And it really kind of hurts my heart. Yeah, it hurts my heart.
0: There you go. That's good. That's what we're talking about. Hey, um, last segment, Max Struess was on uh, the Miami Heat uh, shooting guard. And as you and I have talked, talent comes from a lot of places. But he's one of the many stories that you find in the NBA. Went to a small school, went to DePaul, didn't get drafted, bounced around a couple of camps, tore an ACL was fortunate because of the NBA calendar in that COVID year, was able to heal, uh, gets an invite to the Miami camp, uh, can shoot, uh, sticks around. And guy started the last six regular season games, 18 playoff games, and uh, he, he's making $1.8 million, which is not bad money, but he's not making $40 million a year. But those are great stories of, of so many guys in the NBA that take different journeys to get there. You don't have to be a high draft pick. You don't have to have 5 million followers on social media. That dude appreciates every yeah. step of the way, right?
3: Well, but there are also certain uh, NBA uh, uh, franchises that are are, I mean, exceptionally good at finding those kinds of players, and not just finding them and then stashing them away in the G League or on the bench. The the development that comes along with that. And Miami Heat, the Miami Heat are one of, if not the best team and franchise in the NBA at identifying talent that may be going under the radar, talent that isn't going to be home run talent, but talent that fits the culture as well as talent that is a a piece of the puzzle. That's the way that Miami looks at a lot of these kinds of guys. And so two things have to happen. Number one, Miami has to identify that missing puzzle piece, right? And I'm not trying to be cliche, just it's a great way of looking at it. This is this this is what we're missing uh, uh, for our offense or our defense. You know, where can we find a player that can that can plug into that puzzle piece? And so, when you identify multiple players, you're know, like, we we think this is the guy. We're going to go after this guy, but then, kind of a almost a, you know, you've got to run opposite lines of communication. They got to run past each other. So, the Miami Heat identify talent, they identify the puzzle piece, but then the talent and puzzle piece is identified. Then has to go all in on the Miami Heat being a superstar in the role that they want. That's actually the harder piece, which I give so much credit to players like Max Strus. Mark, you, you've talked about the journey of Max, and I mean, and the story already. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about that that when you've got it's like two trains that are running uh, are running past each other. There has to be a stop to where where you come to a complete stop and there's an agreement where you get back on the same track because the opposite line of communication from a player like Max Struz is you don't like we don't know what kind of mentality he had in high school and college and played semi pro ball I mean we don't know that and he's got to go okay I'm in and it's very rare for players that are those fringe NBA type type uh uh stars like Max Struz is to say okay i'm all in on letting go this aspect of the way i want to play and all in on going on the miami heat way to play and being a particular superstar role player that is very difficult to do it's very rare but when it happens you get playing time you start making a name for yourself articles get written about you you're playing you're playing on national television competing for championships and you get paid but you have to let go of some of that ego, and you have to let go of piece of who you are as a basketball player, in order to fully embrace that role that team wants you to play.
0: Let me ask you a, a, a magic question, but also about an era and a style. The, you know, I mean, we've talked over the years the NBA mm-hmm. positionless basketball to some degree. Some colleges uh, have shifted, but not everybody. But uh, you know, the preseason you you, you you try some things. I don't know how much they'll use it, but I am kind of intrigued about. Paulo, the ball handler in the half court for the Magic, and and we've watched these point forwards, and and we've talked about this. I, I think even in recent weeks, but the magic between Wendell Carter Jr., Franz Wagner, Paulo six nine six ten guys in a different type of half court offense. Is it yeah. a trend where we're going to find more six nine six ten ball handlers? They're not really worried about the natural point guard. If I don't have a Chris Paul or a John Moran. And I'm going to run offense because they're the best weapon to start in the half court.
3: So since the era of Red Auerbach, uh, he's got a great quote about basketball, is that offenses always evolve first and it takes a while for the defense to pick back up. And if you look at the history of the NBA and just basketball in general, that has been the case. Is offenses are always It's, uh, it's always the offense that evolves first and jumps out of the gate, and I'm doing too many cliches today. This is jump out of the gate. I was yeah. talking about train tracks. My goodness. I'm sorry. Um, but, but that is true. When, when, it, if you're looking at offensive defense, what evolves first? Offense evolves first. Individual player development evolves first always. And it takes years for defenses to catch up. So, yes, uh, a short, uh, a short answer is yes, you're going to be seeing more six, nine playmaking guys like Paulo Bancaro that are operating in what you would assume a primary ball handler point guard type role would be what that is, what the offense is doing is when you've got skilled players like that and defenses haven't adjusted, you know, I I'm of the belief that I think what we're going to be start seeing more is even uh, in about three, four, five years, as defenses evolve, we're going to be seeing more pressure denial defense from NBA teams to try to combat a lot of what we're, we're seeing in terms of, the Giannis's of the world paolo bancaro's guys over 6 foot 9 that are that are acting as as point centers point forwards everything on offense in the nba involves two things um, uh, uh, when you have a player like paolo bancaro you're putting him in position to score you're putting him in position to run your offense you want to create you want to create opportunities for your best players to succeed and you want to create indecision on defense Opportunities for your best players to succeed are Polo Bencaro in certain percentages in the half court is excellent in some areas, non-excellent in the other areas. How do we put Polo into excellent scoring situations in spots in the half court that we know from a percentage standpoint, you know, it's a high percentage that we're getting a bucket, we're getting fouled, or we're getting an assist, and in, 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 in parallel to that is how do we put defenses in places of indecision of how do we put paulo does he get missed, uh, uh, matched up on a guard or a defender that's an average to maybe even below adequate defender and put that individual defender in a place of indecision because once an individual defender is in place of indecision that leads to overhelp on defense or, your, uh, um, or or bad rotations on help defense. And if you've got overhelp, if you've got bad rotations, what, is, what does that mean? There's more space to operate on driving kick and weak side play. That was kind of X's and O's, but that's the type of thing when you have that big 6'9 six, nine, six, nine forward, that point forward, how do we position Paulo to be successful in his areas that he's excellent at scoring while simultaneously trying to create as many indecision opportunities versus these de- defenders that may be adequate or below average.
0: Hardcore basketball talk there, uh, But that man. was that? That was, pretty good? That was, good. was like, insane. Uh, that's good, right? Man, people should yeah. pay for wow. something like that.
3: I'm sweating. I'm sweating.
0: I sent you a text this morning. I have nothing against Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC. He's a business person, asked a little gal for the interests yeah. of his members, and he needs to make money. Make more money than the current media deal they have. And the way you do that is to get on board with things like an expansion of the college football playoff, which he strongly opposed because he was concerned about players' safety and length of season that he now is fully on board with now. And then he dropped the nugget at the media day yesterday about expanding the NCAA basketball tournament. You and I've talked about this. And I guess it'll become a hotter topic. I say it is inevitable because of the money that will be paid to expand the tournament. And I think other commissioners will carefully find their way to support the idea, even though I know you don't like it. So when you heard his latest yesterday, your reaction was what?
3: Yeah, I agree with you in that Jim Phillips is trying to make a business decision. I think a lot of it has to deal with his deal with the SBN, with the agency's deal with the SBN is that it's not as good as the Big Ten. It's not as good as the SEC. That's not a knock on Jim. That's just it, 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 everything happens so rapidly, right? So <clears throat> this is layered. Uh, Mark, we could do a whole show on this, and so I'll try to condense it as quick as I can. I'm not in favor of expanding the NCAA tournament. Uh, if I'm just taking from a standpoint of I've never liked being progressive for the sake of being progressive because it's cool to be progressive. I don't, uh, if something is working and something is great and nobody is complaining about it, why are we messing with something that is great? Nobody complains about the NCAA tournament except for the handful of coaches that are on the wrong side of the bubble. Nobody complains about it. Fans love it. Betters love it. I mean, teams love it. It's the best and most efficient sporting event in the world. It is fantastic. Okay, when I take the emotion out of it, one of the reasons why they want to expand the NCAA tournament, obviously, is money. You know that. Everybody else knows that. Coaches know that. Where I think it's very, very short-sighted of coaches who are in favor of expanding the NCAA tournament. Most of the coaches that are in favor of expanding the NCAA tournament are, 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 are teams that are historically have been bubble teams. Fringe bubble teams for the last 10 to 12 years. You expand the NCAA tournament to 96 teams. I don't think I think every co- every coach in the country should be against this for this very reason. Is I can't stand the way that we I can't stand the coaching carousel. I, 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 I it, it drives me absolutely crazy. We've talked about the million different ways of why it's good and bad and different and all that stuff. But if you think as a head coach in college basketball, as a coaching staff of college basketball, expand the term. Expand the term in ninety six teams. If it wouldn't in ninety six teams, I'd have been in the tournament for the last ten years. If we expand 96 teams, what do you think is going to happen from a fans perspective, from an administrative perspective, from a major donor perspective? If you go to 96 teams and you go to the, if you go to the 96 team tournament for three straight years, but you don't win a game, you're gone. You're gone. Well, well, but we made the NCAA tournament right now, keeping your job, going to the NCAA tournament, getting into the tournament is a is a uh uh that is the shield for keeping your job. It, it is one out of 3 years, two out of 3 years, 3 years in a row. Even if you barely make it, you get in. That's 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 the floor. If you go to 9 to 16s, you are absolutely kidding yourself nationally to think as a coach, head coach assistant coach whoever, to think that that floor isn't going to change. Well, it's 96 teams. It's over 25% of, it's, uh, of Division One teams. It's obvious that you should be getting in. We need you to win games. We need you to go to Sweet 16. Oh, boy, you won't open up that door. That is a dangerous door. And then we're talking about health and safety of players. If you're going to expand the tournament, you know exactly what that means. That means less non-conference games. Less non-conference games means less buy games. What I mean by buy games, I mean like a team like Florida State – paying for, let's say, uh, let's just say Stetson. Stetson Mm -hmm. to come over. Uh, uh, um, uh, Western Kentucky. Florida State pays Western Kentucky to fly to Tallahassee to play in a non-conference game. That goes away. Those bye games go away. Western Kentucky might be a bad example. But there are going to be a lot. And when I mean a lot, I'm saying a lot of Division I teams that are going to say, we can't sustain this. We can't sustain this. We can't get any bye games. You want to, they're going to lessen the non, the amount of non-conference games. They're going to go basically straight just conference games right into an extended tournament. The only thing that saves it, that saves the term from not expanding is number one, severe backlash. I do think there'll be a lot of backlash. I don't know if it's going to be severe backlash, but we, we shall see. Number two, timing. If you expand the NCAA tournament, really the only way to do it especially if you're only going one TV partner, is to get rid of games in the non-conference and you're going to have to, you're gonna have to uh, move uh, March Madness to being a little bit earlier. And number three is if you don't do all of that, if you don't uh, get rid of the non-conference games, it's gonna, it is going to be a hard sell to increase, uh, to increase the number of games in an already very big college basketball season, very lengthy college basketball season.
0: That's good stuff. We'll actually start talking about season previews uh, when we get around to it uh, next week. Thanks, Mike. Have a good uh, weekend. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Mark. Uh, We'll come back with a wrap on our Thursday show next.